Hello, my name is David Turner and this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. And today I'm in the Royal Festival Hall on the South Bank in London and I'm joined by Sophie Cameron. Hello Sophie, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, yeah, we're going to start with a reading and then we'll get on to some questions. Okay. Once upon a time, in a land chock full of lush green fields and sea blue skies, there lived the most handsome prince with auburn curls and thighs that would make even a hussy's eyes water. He could master a horse like it was a mere extension of the self. I love you, my hero, my castle and my moat. Our love transcends all bounds. In the less affluent remits of the kingdom lived a horrendously beautiful maiden, given that she was a bastard and poor. And it just so happened that the prince fell helplessly in love with the strapped maiden. I love you, my hero, my castle and my moat. Our love transcends all bounds. The prince swooned, and by swooned I mean he wiped his big dick off, so he could be rational when faced with such unworldly beauty. He rode up to her semi-detached on his tank shaped like a horse, appropriately named Madame Two Swords. Some assaulted off his steed, tried the doorknob, but finding it resistant, proceeded to rap rather intently. I love you, my hero, my castle and my moat. Our love transcends all bounds. The prince grasped the maiden by the arse and planted her with a syrupy wet kiss, simultaneously pulling out a wilted bunch of flowers from his sheath. I got you these from a petrol station, he gurned, and I don't even live near a petrol station. I love you, my hero, my castle and my moat. Our love transcends all bounds. They would have lived happily ever after if the prince, been eaten up with jealousy, hadn't bulldog-clipped her vaginal lips together, which dripped like a simmering desperate sex clock, at which point sexual depravity put a gun in her hands and shot the fucking cunt right through the chocolate eyes. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, I forgot to say at the beginning, it might get a bit blue. This episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. In the best possible way, Sophie, why are you pissing about with poetry? That's a very good question. I think, I think I've always liked writing, I think, and I've always loved reading and um, all different types of literature. Um, but I think poetry's got that sort of immediacy in terms of you know, being able to sort of write something really quickly and sort of crystallise you know, emotions and thoughts rather than sort of something longer. So I've always sort of fallen into poetry because it feels very immediate and when you have an idea you can sort of, you know, really go to work on it and feel like you've achieved something very quickly. Um, And I think poetry just offers that sort of coming together of, you know, performance um, and language and, and sort of voice loads of things you know all coming together so you know my poetry I think brings together the sort of live performance element which you know especially performance poetry sort of allows that to become you know to sort of um, allow the words to become more than what's just written I think um, and in terms of the type of poetry that I write I mean I wish I could write beautiful poetry but that's not that's not my voice I think I write shocking poetry because 
I feel like there's certain things that I, that that no one said and yes. um, that need to sort of make people feel uncomfortable. You know, like a female saying these things, and you know, I like the idea that you know we we can idealise love till the end of the, you know of eternity, and that, that's brilliant. But that said, you know, love can be horrible, and like you know, it's it's got to be real at, at the same time. So in a way, I probably try and tip that balance back, maybe too far. But then I think that's the beauty of it in a way. No, I completely agree. I, it's, I always find it strange that the majority of people seem to have the view that they want their poetry to be beautiful. But traditionally beautiful. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It doesn't mean that you, can, you can't be shocking and yeah. have some beauty involved as well. You know? See, I wish I could do that. I mean, there's lots of modern poets that like do you know, capture stuff in a way that I could never do. And certainly, like, if you look at Shakespeare, I mean, why even bother? Because he literally like, wrote everything that was yes. ever beautiful, and so in a way, it's a bit like, you know, there's no point in competing with that, you know. So, yeah. So, your it's your work from what I've seen of it, I've seen you perform a few times. It's quite you. You seem to be quite interested in storytelling. What do you feel you can achieve by having a shorter amount of time with, yeah. with the story? That's a really interesting question. I, I suppose in a way. Um, I like the challenge of having, to, uh, of being able to capture a moment or a feeling. So I think when I find it, I'm inspired to write a poem. It's normally either like an image, or an idea that I have that I want to convey. Like so, um, this idea of so that in the in the poem that I've just read, this idea of you know a young woman being sort of trapped in a relationship but that young woman also having you know a, a sort of sexual desire of her of her own and sort of um converting what is you know maybe supposedly leads you to believe that it's going to be you know a, a traditional fairy tale type romance um but those people aren't you know those people that are in fairy tales don't don't really exist because we all have you know desires and we all you know, have like irrational thoughts, and we all do things that are horrible. And um, you know, so this idea of you know a man, you know, get, taking a woman and carrying her off into the sunset is just complete bullshit. Because you know, at some point she's going to turn around and go, well. Yeah. So, do you feel that poetry, and I suppose we talk about the performance side of things particularly, do you do you think that the shocking is still the preserve of the male performer? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a bit different though, because I think my power of shock comes also the fact that I look quite innocent. However, however I might dress myself up, or I always just look like butter or Mel, and that I've always found that really frustrating. So I've sort of tried to use it to my advantage with the performance because um, because I, I think people just look at me and they just go, no, you know, like what I'm hearing is not what I'm seeing, and and and, and that's part of the power. I think with a man, I think. Um, there's loads of stuff that men could do. I, I, I don't know whether it's that innovative though, in terms of like the, the male performers, especially with poetry I see. Um, I, I certainly think sometimes, you know, sort of sex and love as a, as a topic can be quite dangerous for a man if they sort of stray down, mm. you know, kind of um, certain routes. So maybe it is quite a challenge for a man to be shocking sort of about the sex side without sort of erring into dangerous territory. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, certainly. I mean, if I read your yeah. work, 
and it was a male lead character, it would be completely inappropriate. Yeah. Most of it. Yeah, and I've seen like male performers, you know, talk about sex, you know, in a way that I think they intend to be empowering and, and shocking, but then actually comes across as like misogynistic or you know, or trivial, and and, and and the vibe can just be really wrong. So I do think, you know, as a female, I recognise that, you know, there's certain things on my side that maybe... But I, I think what I'd like to see maybe is, like, a few, a few men trying a few yeah. exciting things yeah. in terms of shock. Mm. Hopefully the crowds will disappear now that the performance starts in one minute. Um, yeah, I was going to follow up actually with the question about how much your writing is now influenced by your performing and what, which feeds into what feeds into what. In that, when I've seen you, you seem to have two personas when you perform, and one is appearing to be, I suppose you can only do it once, and that would have to be at the beginning of the set, appearing innocent. Yeah. And then the way you tend to, well, I've seen you turn to just be very bored by the subject of sex. Um, how how much of that came? So how much of the performing style came out of the writing, and how much of the performing style influenced the writing? That's really difficult because I used to. I remember when I started out, it was a dare. So like I wrote this. Me and my university friends went to Edinburgh to do a comedy show. Yeah. And, and all the sketches that we did bombed. Mm. And then they all did stand-up and I was too scared to do stand-up, but I couldn't like do the rest of Edinburgh not doing anything. Yeah. So I decided to, decided to write a funny poem, something really like that leads you to believe that it's going to be innocent and then just goes really obscene. Um, and that went down really, really well with the like two people weren't in the audience for like the whole <laughs> month. And then my friend dared me to do it at like um, a really serious poetry event, really to take the piss out yes. of people. And everyone loved it. And it but they were also very, very shocked as well, and I got such a buzz out of that. Um, and it, I did, do, you know, I wore a really nice dress, and I went up there and smiled really sweetly, and then people were just like, "Whoa, you know, this is, this is awful." And it, it was for my own amusement, really, which is quite selfish because, you know, I was taking it into a forum where, you know, there was a lot of serious poetry going on. Um, but then I realised there actually was some real value in it. Uh, I, I think my, my performing side is informed by that to some degree, you know, realising that um, that I do have a character on stage. That that said, I think the poetry, the performance element of the poetry will always come first. I don't think I'd ever write a poem, I don't think I'd ever perform a poem that, that I wrote for my own personal... Yeah. I think there's poems that I'll perform and that I want a certain reaction from people or I want to put it out there and see how people react um, and then my my on-stage persona maybe adds to that as well so this idea that I'm quite um, outspoken and and yeah it's really difficult for me to see how I am on stage especially now um, that I sort of host my own gig that's kind of made it a bit difficult because I can't hide away from this. It's, I, you know, I, had, I had the same problem when Lizzie and I ran uh, Silence Around the Tongue. I, I, I always found it easier when I read to have at least some sort of character, even if it was just an exaggerated version of me, because you've got something to hide behind, but you yeah. can't continue that through the links between. And yeah. Jumping from one to the other can seem 
really odd because you, it's like, like I was saying before, you, you've only really got one chance to play the surprising character. Yeah. And if you shoot that load at yeah. the beginning of the night, <laughs> and with a regular shoot, night, yes, it becomes yeah. very cheap. Yes. You know, when when you're getting people back and you're playing the innocent, you know, yeah. every time, and it just don't work, and it, it also becomes like a cliche. And I, I just wouldn't want it to be, you know, you know, my thing, you know, that I was hiding behind. Um, but it does make it really difficult because, you, you know, when you think about performing in the context of, of the poetry, it's clearer. But then when you, yeah, when you host a night, then it is like, who am I and what do I want to portray on stage? And, and how, how does this relate to the poems that I'm going to read? And yeah. is that going to be consistent or not? Um, and I don't know whether I've usually thought it through. It just kind of was a bit of a whirlwind <laughs> and just... I just, I suppose, you know, the stage for me is an exciting place and maybe I am a bit of an enigma on stage, maybe that's what I hope I would be, whereas where some people don't go, well, that's that's who she is. I think I'd hope, because in a way, I suppose my hosting style is to confuse rather than create clarity. Yeah. And that's what I like. Yeah, but it was always my style. Well, I'd say style, it just came out of not really knowing what I was doing. I was just, um, I'm just assuming this is Jack Nicholson in my head, but this is quite about like why, why you wouldn't give, if you're in that position of being an actor, why you wouldn't give too many public interviews, and it's because you want to remain enigmatic yeah. in some way. And being a host, unless you design two distinct characters, one as performing, one as host, which complement each other, you will end up giving away too much of yourself, won't you? And, yeah. um, but we'll come on to talking about the... The night you're running a bit later on, so we can go into it a bit more, mm -hmm. in, a bit more in depth. I just wanted to ask you about the video work you've done mm -hmm. because you play around with personas a lot there as well. And I'm just trying to think of one virtual is in the title where it sort of starts off like yeah. sort of period drama ish yeah. and the sort of that sort of romantic idea of what a woman is supposed to be, and then switches to the what might be the reality, yeah. more, more like reality. And um, would you? Would you hope to do more of that kind of work? It seems like you, it's a more, it's an even more immediate way of playing the personas, isn't it? Because you get a quick, with edit, video editing, you get quick costume changes. It's easier to change the scene, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, well, all that stuff's really, really exciting. And it's just exploring different mediums because that, that presented a really exciting opportunity for me to to think about poetry and how it's presented and, and, and the sort of images that will coincide or, or conflict with what I was saying in the poem. So, yeah, I think the, the poem you were talking about is, I think it's Virtual Love. It was a while Virtual ago it, yeah. that I did it. And um, um, a fantastic photographer who sort of was dabbling with film, Ben Meadows, um, wanted to get involved with, you know, trying some stuff out on camera. And it was just really exciting and that was one of the that was the one poem I wrote specifically for us to do okay. so that the other poems I'd done uh, with Ben were, were poems I'd already written and we decided and to were they his visual interpretations yes yeah yeah but so how did that virtual love one work had he given you an idea for how it would look visually and then you wrote to suit that or yeah it was kind of difficult I think we, we had we had a chat about um, some ideas because I, I was sort of fascinated a bit by um, 
yeah, this idea of two different personas, and especially with um, you know the kind of rise of social media, the fact that almost that social media becomes a, a fragment of your persona as well. So this idea that you, you know, maybe on Facebook, you're, you know, everybody knows there's that cliche of like you're way more popular on Facebook than you actually are, and everyone's checking their Facebook desperately, and you know, looking at all their friends that are new from school and thinking like your life shit and stuff like that. You know, it's it's this kind of like voyeuristic thing, and this. But it also presents you this space where you could almost like manipulate your own life and tell your own life so that I can go, well, I want to portray this exciting, you know, female to all my friends. Um, so it was that idea, just try, trying to play around with that a little bit. And then does that, what does that leave, you know, with our reality, with, with actually our everyday? Does that leave us a little bit more bitter about that because we create this, um, this sort of false thing around social media and you know and the idea that social media like everybody's got a really big voice so everybody's become a writer um, you know and, and what does that mean for people does that mean that you know we're all kind of Shakespeare in a way that's kind of a quite a liberating thing mm. but what does that mean for you know for for, for the people who, who really pursue writing and and does that make your feelings more profound than they should be you know we all become in you know, kind of self-absorbed yeah. and, and sort of telling this narrative in third person about ourselves. So, yeah, it was just kind of like exploring those things. And I was having a similar discussion with a photographer about, <clears throat> I suppose, Twitter and Facebook have had a similar effect on literature or poetry maybe and short story writing as Instagram has had with photography in that, yes, everyone is a photographer. Everyone is essentially a writer. If you have the physical techniques of writing, that doesn't mean your work is of any value to other people. Um, and it still sounds a bit, I don't mean to sound pretentious because it's not about judging or putting down anybody else's work. But just because uh, tabloid newspapers have decided to stop paying photographers and are now using images from the public, you know, from mm. the public domain, doesn't mean that those pictures are as good or yeah. tell a story in a way that uh, someone that's spent a lot of time thinking about the worth of their work and what their practice means and uh, yeah. uh, but we should probably get back to some more swearing and uh, sexual, <laughs> sexual and I just want to say in case you can suddenly hear some deep bass it's Guy Garvey's fault because he's doing a concert upstairs so blame Elbow. That's uh, specifically for us probably. <laughs> yeah and we'll take another reading. A small child came up to me the other day and called me a frigid. This was my response. I eat pusses and dicks like there's no tomorrow. If you were to ask me what my biggest achievement in life has been so far, I wouldn't say knitting a stair lift. I'd say being able to suck the flesh off a peach with my cunt. And, I don't, and it doesn't even have to be ripe, but admittedly, they are easier. <laughs> um, that's quite a good segue into your new night, I think. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you started a new night which is called Red War. Yeah. It's monthly um, yeah. in Bethnal Green. And what's the gallery space? Resistance, Resistance Gallery. Resistance Gallery. I probably will try and put a link to, um, I'd certainly put a link under the video to the event and hopefully some information about the gallery as well. But how did that come about? And Because it's quite heavily themed, isn't it? And yeah. Deliberate. And, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where it's something that I'd always wanted to do. You know, I really like um, challenging forms of art. I really like um, 
been shocked and, and, and I'm really curious about all different types of art. So in a way I was, I kind of like, was sad about the fact that either I could go to poetry nights or I could go to comedy nights or I could go to like cabaret or music and I sort of really craved this this kind of a night that was like really really challenging and brought together different art forms and f from people who actually felt you know gritty and had stuff to say rather than it was kind of prim and proper so I sort of had been complaining about it for a while and I you know and I was a bit like well why don't I do it and I think I'd been quite scared about doing you know something of that enormity on, on, on my own back because it is you know organizing something like that and sort of being arrogant enough to say yeah I'm gonna curate this and hope and people are gonna you know come aboard and you know I don't have any money to pay people but you know hopefully I could inspire people to do it for free and I, 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 I suppose I'd been hesitant because of all those complexities and I was just like I'm just gonna do it you know I'd, I kind of had reached a point in my life where I, I sort of felt like why there's so, many, so much stuff that I'm not doing that I want to do and it's like why why am I not doing this so um, you know I found resistance gallery that sort of do really really challenging stuff um, and, that, and I thought they were perfect and, and Gary the guy that runs it you know lets me you know put it on for free and that's really the only way I could do it and then you know everyone who performs does it you know for the love of it I wish I could pay everyone um, but unfortunately that's you know <laughs> that's just not possible um, but for me it's just about this creating this space where people can sort of audience members can feel comfortable in feeling uncomfortable you know so getting people that you know aren't you know kind of are coming from a different space who've had you know who've got a voice that is different to you know the, the mainstream voices that you're going to get you know someone who's is going to be challenging and, and, and whether that's sort of you know burlesque or kind of music um, or poetry or comedy or performance art or whatever I think it's just it's for me it's about feeling excited and inspired by someone you know, seeing someone and, and, and wanting to talk about it, and that's the thing. On the after we did the first night, the next day on social media, people were talking about who was the best, yeah. and I thought that was the biggest compliment was that everyone just wanted to talk to each other yeah. about what they'd seen and, and how they'd felt. And I think that for me was just like, yeah, that means that I did something great. And if I can try and do that again, um, then there's some value in what we do, and, and hopefully, you know, these artists who aren't necessarily given stages all that frequently um, are getting new ears to sort of you know inform I mean so I've only been to one night but I know I know people who performed on other nights I've spoken to a lot of people about it and it seems like there's a it does seem like there's a deliberate attempt at least that although you're trying to make people uncomfortable you're trying to make people uncomfortable on the whole I mean there's no sort of it's not like Junglers, where they're picking out an individual yeah. in the audience and yeah. taking the piss out of them, and, but you know, it's sort of you're. I think you're right. I think it, it's a very interesting thing when you've made the audience as a whole feel uncomfortable because mm -hmm. it unifies them. Yes. In a feeling, and, and it's sort of, there's a safety net then yeah. for them. And you're able to talk about. I um, I write a lot about my mental health history and having been in psychiatric hospitals and stuff, and those issues can be. You know, equally shocking as talking about sucking beaches. Yeah. Well, uh, so, you know, I like mean, it, I love. It's, it's um, but yeah, sorry. 
I think it's interesting that as long as you shock everyone, yeah. Uh, then everyone comes together around yeah. the initiative. Well, there's certainly loads of stuff that people still feel comfortable, uncomfortable about, and that things that, like mental health that yes. should be talked about more, mm. and and like sort of sexuality and you know gender issues and you know every, like all of the things that we sort of like tense up about. Yeah. I think should be talked about more, and and certainly like I'd love, to, I want more sort of mental health issues to be discussed. I want more sort of. A lot of the time, I'll get really aggressive female performers, and I don't want it just to be female. Yes. Like, you know, sometimes I get scared about that because I don't want it just to be like some sort of femi, yeah. you know, like strongly like female thing where you know men are chased out. I don't want it to be that. I don't want it to be sort of defined in any way. I just, I just really like it when someone has sort of an honest opinion to share, um, and like with so. You know, with the with the Tinder stuff that I do, you know, that's actual real stuff. Mm. So having been on Tinder and being sent loads of cock, you know, dick pics, yeah. and the fact that you can't show an erect penis in public, and you know, I've sort of modified them on Photoshop. So although it's absolutely hilarious, and and the modifications that I've made are pretty damn grotesque, like there is a serious point to it. You know, like there, you know, Tinder is sort of represents some male views of how you know mm. or, or is it the online platform that gives people this feeling like they can behave in certain ways towards women I mean it's certainly empowered women sexually because you know the women on there are like saying you know well maybe I you know do want a sexual rela yeah. relationship um, but in the, the same breath you know my experiences of Tinder you know is it okay for a, for a man to introduce himself by sending a picture of his cock and he's got a blatant STD I mean yes. I would question the rationale of that man <laughs> you know that does that because the cock you know it must hurt him I just don't I just like I still try and think about it and that and that is actually where the, the name of the the, the gig came from oh, Red Raw right. was because his cock literally was Red Raw and it was like <laughs> you know and he was asking me like do you like what you see and it's like I think you should go to the doctors Yeah. and it just makes you know and I'm not saying um, that these men are bad people or anything what I'm saying is that you know maybe they you know are not able to speak to women in the right way or they've got a distorted view of you know how women how women um, are going to take them or, or maybe actually these people are never going to meet me you know and, and they, they get some sort of kick out of sending this stuff I don't know but I think it's just interesting to sort of talk about these things and try and understand yeah I was a bit um, yeah I will say sceptical because I'm openly sceptical about most things uh, I come from a fine art background and sometimes it's always a bad time when a show or an exhibition claims to be provocative or shocking because the easiest thing in the world to do is to shock people. Yeah. It's what you do afterwards with, with that reaction. And I was really glad to see that one that you made two really good points on the night. I think that the Tinder thing or online, the anonymity of online dating profiles and being able to somehow think that a reasonable way of introducing yourself is with a picture of your erect penis shot at a ridiculous angle with too much flat like it's just something you just think well, who for, for one thing I take away that if we could just put the inappropriateness to one side who thought that was a good picture yeah. <laughs> who thought well, that was flattering in any way but before I get too distracted I also was really impressed with um, I mean I'd seen the kids from the sex workers opera before I've seen them actually mm -hmm. 
I've been involved with spoken word stuff for about two years and they've been workshopping this for the last couple so I've seen them this whole thing in development yeah. and they've just been on a really uh, well received tour and stuff but yeah. some of the sex workers that came on and performed and I think the way they spoke about what they did to earn money so candidly and openly yeah. and, and portrayed their bodies was firstly shocking but the reason it was shocking was because it was completely out of our control it wasn't burlesque was it it was yeah they still um i can't remember her name but she did the striptease eating cake and singing yes. at the same time Malia. Malia. yeah and i can remember the one thing i remember from the whole night is when everyone did that sort of burlesque sort of full because we're all mainly an english audience and mm. burlesque is quite an american thing her first view of her nipples and everyone sort of went like that and she said I don't get you people why are you cheering my, my tits like, yeah. just, what are you doing it's just yeah. why not my shoulder why not you know it's a really so there were some yeah I think if it's done in the right way having no shocking element but you have to do something with it don't you? I mean, yes. that's what yeah. I'm trying to get to yeah I mean the first gig that I did um, Melina was going to did a performance piece yeah. and she um, wrapped herself in bondage to her yeah um, and then and she had um, a recording of her voice saying why is my cunt so controversial right. and she wanted to see if she could unwrap it by the time that the thing finished and it was at, you know and I didn't know what to do this was the first gig the first act I didn't know whether people would just leave like you know like just everyone's just gone and whether I pitch it wrong um, and I did it and it was silent but the, the silence was so powerful and people were absolutely like in support of her like it was so profound and I was like I think that was the best thing the best risk I could have taken and I think you know people do want to hear if you think about like um, the vagina monologues and stuff like this stuff has been done before but but you know but actually people want to hear like genuine experiences they still you know we still don't talk about this stuff enough and also, you know, it's all very well talking about those subjects, but if it's packaged in a way that you're allowed to perform it at the old Vic, it's still, yeah. it's done, it's, it's then moulded into a box, yeah. a traditional box, you know, you need to be in spaces. Actually, I wanted to make the point that the resistance gallery is perhaps a little bit misleading. It is not a white box yeah. with overly bright lights. It's, in a, it's an archway under a railway bridge yeah. and it's pretty. They've got velvet yeah, on the walls yeah. that, that's like different texture, you know, like it's rubbed in a certain yes, way, yes. so it's got like different <laughs> textures. Yeah. So it's um, it's not the usual setting for that kind of thing, when you, you know, by the look of the, in- the interior. Um, yeah, I think there's a, there's, I mean, you're right, I mean, these things have been spoken about, but not, I, I agree, I don't think they've been spoken about in the right way. You need to be, you can't can't package repackage yeah. these things they have to be honest and they have to be told hopefully if the person's up to it by the person yeah. that's experienced it I think yeah. and that's where the real power comes from and I think that's why Melina's so great because she takes complete she reminds me a lot of a very good friend of mine Ophelia Yarl Ortega who's an amazing performance artist and works with her body in the same way mm-hmm. and just completely desexualizes her body immediately yeah. and it becomes sexual when she wants it to be on stage and it's a really powerful um, you know, when it's done properly you can't fail to be affected by it I think and, you know. so what what are the plans for the how 
well, first of all, how difficult is it to run that kind of night? It must be a nightmare. <laughs> it's scary because like, it's so much, when it goes well, that's the thing, after the first one went so well, there was so much pressure on me and it was like, oh my God, how the hell am I going to ever like, do as well as that, like create that again? So that it almost, you know, it was so much pressure, even just on me writing and working out what I wanted to do, you know, and who I was going to get on. Because I just, I also don't want it to, you know, I don't want to be exploiting people. I'd love people to come back, but I can't be saying, you know, can you come and do the next one and the next one, um, you know. And I want to find, I want to reach out and find people as well. That you know, I mean, I don't know everybody, and there's only so many gigs that I can go to, and it's just trying to find people that you know are on the margins and who kind of maybe haven't even got up on stage yet, and and you know that just inspire them to sort of share something um, that maybe isn't even ready to be performed but you know just I've got something to say I, I think it's trying to get the tapestry right so I don't want it just to be like all poetry one night so it's got to be this kind of richness um, so it is a lot of pressure um, and I always say like when it go when it gets rubbish or when it loses it's like you know it's the intention then I'll, I'll stop it yeah. um, and it, you know, I do need to, I need to like reach out to the right people. I want you know people to contact me that, um, you know, that, that would like to perform in that sort of a context. And it doesn't matter you know who they are or what they have to say. Like I, I think it's really important that we get the right people on. And like I say, I don't want it just to be all females or you know, all poetry. Um, yeah, so it's scary like looking into the future and saying, yeah, I'm going to do it every month. Like in a way, I just look at the next one and go, okay, I have to try my hardest and, you know, try and find people and, and put it together and then, you know, try and try and inspire enough of an audience to come. Because that, I mean, every time it's so scary because you never know how many people are going to turn yeah, up. Yeah, exactly the same thing. It's just, we had, we went one month from having like, people couldn't get in the door. And the following month we had six people turn up. Yeah. And that was including free performance I think it was just but both nights were equally as good but it's, it's just it is a it never got any easier waiting for like the last minute rush of people to turn up yeah. because it's as a it actually wasn't an issue for us me and Liz as organisers but you, you want an audience for people that have come for well, free if you're that, not paying them to turn that's up that's the you, whole thing you, they need an audience yeah <laughs> I mean I, that's the thing I don't sort of feel so bad for myself because I know that like I'll you know kind of get over it yeah. but it's the people that you've asked to come and do it like yeah. you know and you've paid to travel there and then suddenly they're faced with like you know a tiny audience and however much you know it, it might be fantastic if you haven't got the atmosphere there and you haven't got enough people I mean we've all done gigs to like a few people and they can be fantastic mm. but in the same breath <coughs> you know there's nothing like looking out and you know there's people standing up because they can't get you yeah, can't yeah. get in and that's what you want mm. yeah and on that note, I think we were sort of um, time sticking on, so we should probably finish there. Although we could talk a lot about that. And I find the whole thing of like starting nights up is pretty fascinating. But it was really mainly because it was so draining for us and um, trying to book features. And like you said, it's it's so difficult to go out and see new people, isn't it? Um, I don't know how you found, but we like, there was a marked decrease in my attendance to other things because oh, yeah. I could, we our night was on a Tuesday, and for for another seven days I couldn't. They're going to anything because there's such a, so much stress involved with turning up to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and just it's just it is difficult. You think that London would be like absolute an absolute hotbed for like really interesting stuff, but there seems to be this huge like 
divide between very, very pricey, formal stuff yes. and kind of niche stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and <coughs> and in a way, like London needs to be better than that. We need to have, you know, and we need to find the audiences. We need to get those people in because I think they're out there, but it's just like reaching out to them and letting people know. I don't know, you know, you think with the age of the internet, you, you know, you, you'd be getting huge audiences and, you know. But I think, you know, the problem is that people are now spoiled for choice, aren't yeah. they? And it's, um, I think for us it was bad timing when we started our night. You know, we, the country was still pretty badly in recession and people are just pretty, weren't going out, you know. Yeah. And it's very difficult. You have to find the right balance between a venue that will let you in for free or very little. Um, so you can encourage the audience to come for nothing and then also that they don't charge so much on a bar because you know yeah. I've been to events before where it's free to get in and then you know six pounds for a beer and it's you don't save much money you may yeah. as well you know you may as well have just gone to the pub and yeah I think especially if you're trying to you know poetry audiences and cabaret audiences will come anyway because they're, they're already invested in that scene but if you're trying to encourage new people I mean, this is a really big discussion and maybe it will be something to come back to for the podcast and maybe we could talk and come back and talk about it then because it's it's a very difficult one to, yes. to yeah but. but I mean if you look at everyone you know your venue owner yeah. like how did they exist in London like they need to make some money somewhere and that's the thing it's like if you put a gig on for free then you know then yes the drinks will have to be yeah. you know maybe a bit more pricey and you know you can but there is a, you know, there is a difference between like if you only sell craft ales. Yeah. Of course, you drink some, you know. We um, for the Lunar Poetry Magazine launches, we use the Pick and Pelican because they, they have, they have a, a wide range of beers, but they also have cans of restaurant for two fifty. Yeah, well, so, that's good. And coffee for one pound twenty. It's just filter coffee, but you know there, there are yeah. options for people whose budget is don't stretch and they don't charge too much money for soft drinks and stuff. But and it, what I wanted to say was. All those things aside, when it works, it's definitely worth it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. an amazing feeling to bring people together and for it to... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe we could take a final reading. Yeah. So this one's actually titled, it's called To Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. No, Hugh, I will not make a lunchbox. I will not turn my hand to broad bean hummus or lobster fucking bisque because you say I should, because you say I'll be better for it. I'm quite happy to sit back and watch your deeply contrived fiction with a slotted spoon and a warm vionetta and compare it to my own factory-farmed reality. No, Hugh, I have never tasted umami because I can't reach down there. And no, I have never made my own brown sauce because, quite frankly, I thought it was a naturally occurring condiment. Stop paying people to come to your house, Hugh. Stop eating your own food and jizzing on about how good it is. Most people don't have an Arga or a Bain-Marie or an outside for that matter. Most people don't seem green very much. The majority have little more than a borrowed front door, a microwave and an overused wanking arm. I was hoping you were going to read that. Thank you very much. And that appeared in the Morning Star, didn't it? It did. In the World Verse section. Yes. Uh, thank you, Sophie. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed the chat. Um, and I'll put, yeah, like I said, I'll put links to as much of the stuff we've been talking about underneath the video, um, wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. You. Bye-bye.